All right. Hello and welcome to RealCom's first webinar in 2024. I'm Chuck Neiswanger, your RealCom host for today's topic, Designing Harmony, Crafting the Future of Workspaces and Culture. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. We're moving towards three years since the worldwide COVID pandemic and the definition of work, the attraction and to return back to the office, productivity gains associated with hybrid work, all of that is still being transformed at nearly every level. And we've got a great panel to discuss it, but before we uh, do that, let me mention a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, thank you to our live attendees. We do encourage you to use the Q&A box on the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. It's always better when you're an active participant. We love hearing from you, your questions, your comments, and we'll transfer those to the panel and to our moderator uh, so that we can potentially get them all answered. So uh, it really depends on you how quickly you do that. So uh, we do love, love hearing from you. Um, if you don't get your question answered, we do uh, follow up at the end. I'll take a record of them and uh, share those with the panel and uh, we should be able to get your questions answered. In the handout section, you'll find more detailed bios of our panelists and the slide deck for for today. So that way, if there's something that is uh, complicated or it's got a lot of words on it and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, you'll be able to pause that uh, if you like, uh, especially if you're viewing this as a recording. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. But if your employer is monitoring your video feeds, at least you can classify our webinar as educational and work-related, just saying, so just in case. I'm not saying they are, but just in case. If you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, or video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Ian at ithompson, that's I-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, at realcom.com for help during the event. But also don't worry, you won't miss anything because you'll receive a link to the webinar recording later today. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. Uh, let's see, let's start with Carrier Bound. They are a suite of connected solutions and a cloud-based digital platform that enables real-time, intelligent, outcome-based results that make buildings more efficient and providing uh, the occupants with confidence in the health and safety of their indoor environments. FM Systems has an all-in-one workplace management platform that helps the world's largest organizations access, manage, and measure every aspect of their real estate portfolio. And finally, HQO, uh, their real estate experience, it's called REX platform, converges data, technology, and customer through the only end-to-end -end experience solution transforming real estate to drive tenant and employee engagement, satisfaction, and retention. We are grateful to all the contributions by these vendors to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions just like these. So if you're ready to optimize every aspect of your company's workspace, boost productivity and morale, and raise your guest experiences to the next level, I do recommend including these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. 
All right, looks like we have a good uh, group of live attendees. So Ian, I'm gonna say let's do a quick poll, if we can, to get a sense of who we have in the live audience. Should only take you a second or two to uh, figure out what best relates to your position in the company. So we'll just uh, wait just another another second here. So, all right, anytime, Ian, if you wanna close that out. Um, let me bring on our moderator. There's, There you go, there's our, uh, our distribution. And uh, it gives you a pretty good indication of the sense of who we have on the call. So if you wanna tailor any of your discussion uh, Betsy to that, then you're certainly welcome to. So let me introduce Betsy before I start talking with her too much. Uh, Betsy is the senior principal at director and she's the director of interiors with HOK. Welcome Betsy. We got to get Betsy to turn her camera on and unmute. There she is. Hi, how uh, are you? All My right, I can hear work. you. <laughs> Betsy, all right, perfect. You have, so you get a good sense of the audience. You got a great panel. I'm going to get out of your way. I will see you at the end. All right, let's okay. let's hear it from Betsy. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Betsy Graham, and here today we're talking about crafting the future of workplaces and culture. And I think um, in my 26 years experience of doing interiors, uh, we really have seen people wanting a more authentic and heightened experience. Um, both in and out of work. So imitation of hotel lobbies and things like that are really not cutting the mustard. We really need to think about workplaces, creating a canvas for innovation. And to do that, we need to look at purpose of place, work styles, culture, colleagues and clients, what they're needing. So we really have to think about the workforce and the tasks that they're doing to understand how the workplace can enable that innovation. So hybrid, it really is here to stay. Um, there's a shallow uptick in people coming back to the office, um, but one size kind of misfits all. Our speakers will talk about that a little bit today. Um, and we need to just be mindful as we think of DEAI and A, um, that we don't uh, assume proximity bias for people who are in the office or out of the office because everybody has different social and physical circumstances that we want to cater to. So uh, AI, you know, it's been peaking its head. It really has, um, it's here to stay and it's sitting squarely in front of us. So I think we need to think about um, what's that automation going to do to our workforce. In most cases, McKinsey is saying, um, for instance, that 49% of the tasks that we do in a given workday um, and get paid to do uh, are going to be automated in the future. So what does that mean? That means that we get to do more fulfilling and meaningful work, but that not every skill set is um, set up to do that. So we need to think about how we need to upskill and uh, train our talent to do um, strategic work and uh, get more innovation out of that. And I think sustainability is the last thing I want to touch on. Um, we're way past sustainability, right? You know, a few years ago, all of us were talking about well. Now it's all of our clients are talking about well and ESG goals. And it's become in the forefront. Um, but we need to go past that. When we think about the population growth, by 2030, 82% of it is going to be outside 
uh, the United States. Those places have no energy codes. So here in the United States, we really need to think about how we're repurposing buildings and how we are um, crafting our energy codes and embodied carbon uh, regulations to really offset that. And the AIA large firm roundtable has uh, been doing the carbon countdown uh, and doing just that. And HOK and other firms um, are a part of that commitment to uh, reduce uh, waste in our designs and be net zero. So just some of the things that we'll touch on today, I'm gonna let turn it over to our other speakers um, that we have here today. Um, our first speaker is Michael Pichula. And Michael, if I butchered that, I'm sorry. Um, Michael's the Managing Director of Intelligent and Digital Workplaces at Accenture. So he has some great stuff to share with us today. Hi, Michael. Hey, Betsy. Um, it's great to be here and uh, really happy to uh, to be talking to you about an uh, exciting topic and something definitely close to my heart. All right, take it away. Fantastic. So, I mean, I think that that there's definitely a lot of things that have been happening in the in the workplace changes that you know as, as Betsy has has mentioned you know we're definitely seeing with the clients we work with but also you know as ourselves we're we're a very large uh, occupier at Accenture uh, we have over 640 buildings and 27 million square feet at the moment that uh, that, that we occupy uh, we have a a, a very um, skewing workforce that skews pretty young um, you know, more than 700,000 employees and, and definitely within that pool of employees, we have um, a vast array of people in different circumstances, different needs um, and, uh, and different things that they're looking for in the workforce. Um, we're obviously competing for talent. We're a, we're a people-based business. Um, and so building and designing uh, workplaces that really resonate with our people um, help them to be able to uh, get the work done that they want um, provide them with places that are welcoming, inviting, uh, helping to, to build community um, is, is really key to, um, you know, the, the way that, that we have been looking at uh, building and, and deploying space. But, but similarly for our clients, you know, I have the, the fortunate um, uh, role within the organization that, you know, primarily while myself and my team do work with our clients to help them uh, shape the, the experiences that are being delivered mainly through technology in uh, in the workplaces. We also have the capability to to work um, with our own organisation as a client, um, building uh, new new environments, deploying new technologies, trying things out, you know, in production in the field at scale um, to see what things work, what things resonate with different types of people, um, and then being able to to put a blueprint that we are now. Uh, rolling out on a on a global scale across uh, across the buildings that we manage. So, um, so that that's a little bit about my myself, Betsy. But I know that uh, that you had some some questions for me, I believe. I definitely do. Um, I think one of the things is what does that mean to your what is a day in the life? What is it? What are you doing at Accenture? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So yeah, as I said, you know, I have a, I sit in a really fortunate position, I think, in that um, you know we we are or my team is primarily you know a consulting organization, very similar to to many people here on the on the the call, and we help our clients to to 
um, you know, build these workplaces of the future. But um, being in this fortunate position of having ourselves being, you know, a, a significant occupier of space in a significant size organization with a leadership team that really does want to push the envelope around what it is that we get to deliver. Um, we get to spend a lot of time trying new things out, looking at the latest and greatest um, technologies, different designs, um, and actually you know, implementing them in, into buildings that we're building, seeing what works, um, being in a safe space that it's okay to fail. Right? None of us really like to go out to our clients and implement something that ends up not working or is a little bit too leading edge when we put it in. Then we get the capability to go and, and come up with some crazy ideas, put these things in, um, see if they work. And sometimes, uh, you know, more times than not, thankfully, they work, but sometimes they don't, right? Um, and we get the capability to fail fast in our own environments and then be able to take the best of breed out to, uh, out to our clients. So, um, so it's a pretty fun, fun position to, to be in um, and, you know, really fortunate to be able to partner uh, with our internal organization as closely as we do. Excellent. I've heard you make a public statement asking that we should ask ourselves why the workplace even exists. So what's the context of that uh, idea? Yeah, sure. It, 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 you know, firstly, I'm a big supporter of workplace. I think that workplace has an even more important place in the role um, in any organization that it did even in 2019. Um, but, you know, the, the purpose for the provocative statement and, and, you know, when we work with clients, I, I kind of pose this very early on is, I think you mentioned some of it earlier, you know, earlier in your, your introduction is that we really need to question now, you know, what is the space all about? Who's it serving? And a lot of that comes back down to why it exists, right? Is, is this place exists simply for someone to come and sit at a desk because we could do that at home. Um, you've got to dig a lot deeper and ask those fundamental questions like this place exists because, well, because we bring customers here or because we have a young population that needs to, um, you know, wants to be mentored or we have this because it's close to our partners who come in here all the time, right? And understanding those fundamental questions of why it is there and why it exists helps us to be able to really design, um, you know, go in with our eyes wide open around designing the best experiences and capabilities to suit those people that that place really specifically exists for. And so um, it is a provocative statement, but uh, it, it helps us to really get to the heart of you know, wh why, why are we putting a building here in, in the middle of Chicago? What's its real purpose, right? Um, and, and be able to, to ultimately deliver, we think, you know, the best experience for the people that it's built for. So let's talk a little bit about technology. Um, you know, post um, COVID, we've finally gotten to where we have efficient video technology in all of our work spaces. Um, so we've checked that box. But there's a much broader brush that technology could play in the workplace. And what do you think that is? Can you share some of your thoughts? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so definitely, you know, the, the, the uptake of video conferencing and even just the use of video, we've all had the capability to do video for a long time. Just society had, had kind of shied away from it. And now I think we've become a lot more comfortable over the pandemic of, of being on video, right? So that was yeah. the first thing. Um, but, but definitely, if you look at experience um, in general, like our lives are becoming more technologically connected. Our homes are becoming more technologically connected. And people are now demanding 
um, an experience equivalent to, if not better than they can build in their house when they when they come into the office, right? Um, so they want to be able to get things like information about what's going on. They're asking why they can't use uh, you know their phone to get into the office because they can do it at home, right? Uh, why do they Why do they have to go to the cafeteria and find out that there's a line of a hundred people at twelve o'clock, right? Um, so there's all of these different things that technology is playing a role in the ultimate experience that people have, um, and integrating that into both how space is designed, how people consume the space. Uh, we believe is becoming more and more important, especially with the younger generation that are um, more and more used to walking around and 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 being relying on technology around how they get around and how they do their jobs every day. So um, one of the key functions that my my team plays is working alongside of of designers and architects like yourselves um, when you envision a space for how it looks and how it feels is, how does technology augment the experience that, that that those people are having in those places, and how can we, um, you know, elevate it to to a level that you know just the simple surrounds and uh, the traditional architecture um, can't really fulfil on its own. And you know, we need to think about that. You know, even as people are approaching a building, you know, how do they get in that building and you know avoid the security? You know take a picture, camera, you know, um, how can that be done in advance? And I know a lot of people at Honeywell and Cisco and others are, are working on that. So um, I think it's important from the car or the doorstep all the way into the space. Yeah, I think, I think the irony for me on that right now, Betsy, is that as it stands right now, it's actually easier to get onto a lot of international airline flights than it is to get into someone's workplace. <laughs> right, with with a lot of the the technology that's now being adopted in the mainstream, and so you know, I I've asked organisations and I ask my clients you know quite often, it's like, is this building really more secure than the flight that's leaving from New York to London? Right? Does it really need to be that secure? Because we can get someone to just walk straight through security now with you know obviously with the right things that are put in place prior, and the experience right. can be really good, right? And I love my digital ID. I'm telling you right now. Um, so we've heard survive to 25. Um, what are three things that you think companies should focus on this year for their workspace? Yeah, okay, great, great question. So three things for, for this year, I think. Um, one, you know, again, I'm, I look at things from the technology side of things, but I know the pain that we've been through for the last three or four years. And no, number one is data, right? Um, making sure that you have data on what's happening in your spaces, who's coming into them, how they're consuming uh, how they're consuming the space, how they're using it, what's happening in them. And that's important for a couple of different reasons. You know, we know that there's a big debate going on still at the moment about how consumed are workplaces and how occupied are they, and how many people are coming in. That's all really interesting foundational information that will be important to us for a point in time. But going on to your earlier point about the rise and, you know, AI is here to stay. AI is going to run off of data. And the way that we can use AI in the workplace is all going to depend on the amount of information that we have about what happens in them. You can only, you can only learn as much data as we can share it with it. So um, being able to start to capture that information to be able to build a database or a data lake of, of information on you know, how the spaces are used, what's happening in them, what, what are people ordering for lunch, what are we doing with waste, um, all of those things are going to be able to help us build a foundation to be able to um, 
set ourselves up for a, a really exciting future where things get easier and experiences um, get better. Sure. And, you know, um, the occupancy is interesting. I think it means different things to different people. Um, how do you define it and how do you think companies should monitor it? I mean, we've all sat in a lobby and just seen people badge, go get a cup of coffee and walk right out the door if, if, if they even go up. So yeah. <laughs> what do you think that information should mean? Yeah, no, great question again. Um, you know, for me, the occupancy topic is interesting because, you know, there, there's so many different ways that people are measuring things and calling it occupancy without really a, a really strong definition. But again, it all comes back to what's the purpose of the place, right? If the purpose of the place is a customer center, as an example, it exists for customers, then why do people have to be there from eight till five every day? Maybe they only have to be there when their customers are there, right? Um, but again, if you look at it, how it's being traditionally used as a metric for is, a lot of organizations are using it as a metric of productivity and and I don't necessarily subscribe to that um, to, to that viewpoint. I think that how we measure people should really be done based on output and based on performance and not whether they're sitting at a desk. Um, and I think that if you're trying to get to a point where you're driving up occupancy or you're trying to drive up um, you know, attendance, simply people coming to the building, Again, I, I'd question what its purpose is, right? If the purpose is just for people to come to it, to not actually do anything defined, then I think it's, you know, ultimately it's a waste of, of money, it's a waste of effort, and you're gonna end up just upsetting the people that you, you, you're forcing to come into the building. So again, everything perfect. goes back to perfect, to perfect and why it exists. Thank you. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, and we'll see you at the end. Hopefully our audience has questions that they'll submit. Um, so don't forget to do that, audience. I'm going to introduce Thanks, our next speaker. Thank you so much, Michael. Good to see you today. All right. Our next speaker has a pretty fascinating job. Um, he is a senior principal and studio director, leading researchers, strategists, and designers at Gensler's office. So uh, I love the strategy part of your job, Jacob, and I'd love to hear more um, about what you have to share with us today. Yes. Good morning, Betsy. Thank you for having me. Um, I'll just I'll, I'll jump in. My... Thank you, Betsy. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Excellent. Um, I'll jump in by saying yes. In addition to being a principal at Gensler, I, I lead our strategy practice for the Northwest region. So all things research, speculation, futures. Um, I want to out myself at the onset and just say I'm a I work with a large architecture design interiors firm. That's kind of most notably what we're known for. Um, but I'm a social scientist by training, and I share this because I think it sheds light on the thoughts I'll share regarding how we design for harmony. Um, I, I believe fully at this moment in time, given the context we're all living through, it, it kind of begs the question, um, how do we design for harmony during times of transformation? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll share just a, a simple position, but I think an important one to understand. These are some beliefs that I hold, I hold to be true, uh, simple but important. The first being that transform, transformation will happen, whether through you or to you. Uh, secondly, change is happening faster than ever before. And third, institutions, uh, unfortunately, have been historically very slow to change. And so I'd like to, for a minute, just kind of share a little bit more uh, nuanced information around why I hold these beliefs. So the first one, um, 
why I believe you know transformation will happen through you or to you. You know, at any given time, uh, multiple horizons of change are happening. Um, helpful mental model here, not my own. It's a product of McKinsey, um, but I think it's very useful in understanding a few different horizons of change and where the complexity comes from. H1 being predominant systems, so things we all know, like the web, specifically Web1, where we gained access to vast amounts of content uh, via the web uh, in, a, in the format of read-only. This introduced profound changes to how we learn, for example, uh, because this horizon one is high fidelity and high adoption, we don't really disagree much on the efficacy of it up until this moment. Unfortunately, that's where things get tricky and kind of the, the impetus for this slide. Because if we shift our gauge forward, if we're asking questions about the future beyond the predominant systems of today, which are H1 and our reliance on high fidelity to, to adopt them, we begin to see some people proceed on a hunch, on projection, on the promise of possibility, but we also see a bifurcation where many others will begin to resist out of fear, apathy, the need for certainty. We hear questions like future proof that that's an aspiration, or they start to ask for who else is adopting this first. So we get requests as a firm to do efforts like benchmarking. Who else is doing this in the industry? That's a that's an indication that folks are holding on to predominant systems and, and, and uh, waiting for a more transformative system to emerge in H2 or a future system in H3. Um, this does not create communities of people advancing in harmony, but rather division, sometimes animosity when people disagree about the future possibility, uh, some relish in it because it creates differentiation opportunity. Um, you decide where you stand, but a waning H1 system or systems or more transformative systems or future systems is where we're all trying to grapple with hard decisions. Um, the second thing I, I proposed is that, you know, change is happening faster than ever before. Um, I would say that simply put, we're at an inflection point today where really profound advancements are happening and making possible things that are, have only been figments of our imagination for many decades. Uh, for example, in this slide, um, although it's visualizing number of transistors per microprocessor in billions, and it may seem esoteric and irrelevant to today's conversation, um, it simply dem demonstrates the very rapid acceleration of compute power since 2015, thus the, the hockey puck in the green line there. And although we've been stretching our imagination through fiction for many decades, some of these tech possibilities, for example, uh, and the disruptions, the concerns, the benefits that we're all grappling with now, they're very, very real today in this moment. Uh, and for this reason, we should embrace speed um, to learn, to try new things, to change ourselves uh, in from, from an upskilling and growth perspective, a mindset perspective, but also change within our own organizations. Um, the third thing I, I shared is we believe that organizations have been historically quite slow to change. Um, and I'll caveat that by saying, despite the fact that most will refer to themselves as leaders or innovators, um, there's no simpler way for me to demonstrate this point by, than just by sharing some facts. Um, when you look at our, our mortality of organizations, it's quite striking. In the last 15 years, 52% of S&P 500s have gone extinct. Uh, that's that's uh, not desirable, to say the least. Uh, in 1955, our longevity was 61 years, and today it's 15 years. That's a that's a quite significant shift. 
Most organizations will pro profess, as I noted, that they're innovative. Many even go as far as to display it on their walls or websites, um, talk about it as a core cultural value. But it's clear that the change cycle and the disruptions are accelerating exponentially, and it's becoming increasingly difficult for established companies to keep up. Um, a good example of this uh, would be AI, which is previously mentioned by Betsy uh, and Michael. Uh, many, many of us should humbly admit that while we're sitting around talking about how it might disrupt our industry, it's accelerating at an absolutely ballistic pace. Um, I'll share just a little bit of information here without getting into the weeds, but while we um, kind of dialogue and you know questions continue like, well, AI won't replace creatives and it can't exceed the performance of the most intelligent humans, it doesn't have common sense, nor can it reason or plan or demonstrate long-term memory, um, the reality is that all of these claims are no longer true. Things have been moving very quickly since 2016. Um, uh, if you kind of look at this um, from more of a, a visual perspective, in 2016, on the, the far left image there, we got a glimpse into AI-generated content that left us feeling pretty unimpressed, a um, little creeped out maybe. But in 2024, we're getting images Indiscernible from, indiscernible from portraiture. The woman on the right simply does not exist, yet there she is. Um, what we're kind of now wondering is what are the implications for photographers, for the models behind the camera, for artists, for marketing and advertising, for influencers or politicians uh, that might be represented in a positive or an unsavory way. Deep fakes is a very real concept that could affect elections. Uh, for us, um, you know, we're, we're trying to take part and parse fake from real, and uh, it's becoming quite difficult to do so uh, in, the, in, the, in the time of AI. On a lighter note, um, I'll share just a fun image here. Um, I, you know, I have to, you know, for the, for the hungry folks in the room, I have to share this, but in, in 2016, we weren't getting very appetizing product from AI. In 2024, we're looking pretty yummy. Um, I quoted uh, 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 on one of my previous slides, Dr. Doug Perrin, um, who mentioned that if your work involves a computer, it will very soon be able to be done by AI. Uh, maybe you picked up that quote. Um, here he pointed out to me that unless you notice that there's a hole in the pickle, uh, you'd have no idea that this wasn't a real cheeseburger. So uh, I got a good chuckle out of that. I hope you do too. Um, I'll leave you with a, a kind of a couple closing thoughts um, on designing for harmony. If you, you know, within the context of, of transformation, um, here's a simple mental model uh, that I think is important to reflect on. Uh, it illustrates the various accelerating forces that put pressure on our organizations. Uh, they, they animate a lot of the conversations we're having today, most no notably triggering events. So that top accelerating curve, the, 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 the fastest accelerating curve, if you will, is, is things like technology. I mentioned AI. The resulting behavioral change, that second curve, um, occurs to keep up with that triggering event. So for example, a trigger might be George Floyd was murdered in the streets, then we saw a cry for social justice. That was the behavioral change that was the byproduct of that event. The third change is typically our, our organizations. They, they, they lag behind, but they try to respond uh, up that chain. Um, the, the goal for all of us should be to not only survive within our, the context of our organizations, by avoiding obsolescence, which is on the bottom, but but keeping, but skipping the complexity gap and entering the zone of innovation. 
The only way to do this is to design for transformation and change, in my opinion, specifically designing for, for change before it occurs. Um, I'll, I'll share some, some images here, if it advances. Whoops, went one too far. Um, and say that, you know, um, the, um, there's no real prescriptive formula for designing for harmony. These images here, they really represent uh, our answer at Gensler, specifically our Seattle offices and our San Francisco offices. Um, but you really must answer this for yourself. So space, I believe, as Michael indicated, uh, is important. I would go a step further and say it's the most profound social enabler that the world has ever seen. Um, and so the capability that you desire should be the product of that space. Space creates the enabling function for the conditions that we choose. And so creating the conditions for behavior and output that we want uh, through our business, through our organization, is the answer to what space should be. Uh, that said, I'll also say that core to the answer is likely creativity, given, every, given everything that's going on right now. So teams may think critically about the future and ideate accordingly. Um, I'll just leave you with a snapshot of some research here uh, and say that the enabling and disabling conditions for creativity um, and kind of simply reiterate that the role of workplace is to enable these innate capabilities for people to fully express themselves. So if this is part of your business, that research might be useful. There's no more powerful tool in place to do that. Um, but we, we have to keep in mind the profound transformation that we're witnessing today and the need to get ahead of it quickly within your organization. So with that, thank you. Jacob, thank you so much. We're, we've run out of time, but you had great things to share with us. So we really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll get some questions in the general Q&A. Everyone, okay. please thank feel free to uh, drop questions in. Again, just a reminder to do that. And now I'm gonna introduce uh, HQO. And we'll start by doing a short video. Wonderful, thank you. Michael, how are you? Michael oh, is uh, the Director of De uh, Development at Leesman, which is an HQO um, company, and we're delighted to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Betsy. Ready when you are. All right, take it away. 
Great. Hi, everybody. If the accent isn't a giveaway, I'm London based. So good evening from me. Good morning. Good afternoon to you all, wherever you are. Um, as Betsy said, I'm a development director here at Leasman, which is a HQO company. Um, I've got a background in the technology and software industries where I helped organizations use data to make smarter decisions and achieve their goals. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that data has already been a theme today because it's no surprise. That's what I'm going to be talking to you today about. And I'm going to be talking to you about data and data through the lens of our latest research. And that was known as the workplace reset. Uh, and the output of this research was a series of hygiene factors to determine what the minimum viable office needs to deliver in a post pandemic world. So that's what I'll be talking you through. Um, but first, I'm just going to provide a bit of context to this. So I'm just going to try and jump through on the slides. So we're talking about data at scale. And through our assessments, we've looked at over a million office-based respondents to our assessment, and then over half a million to our home-based assessment. Now, you might say, so what? But the beauty of this data and the beauty of this data at scale is that it gives us the ability to compare the office versus the home in a world where hybrid working is the norm. And that shows whether the home is delivering well, where the office is delivering well, and where the shortcomings of each are. Now we've created a scoring methodology to rank these. It's from naught to 100. It's known as the Leesman Index, and it doesn't take a genius to work out here. We're seeing on the right-hand side, the home is outperforming the office in the workplace experience Leesman model by around 10 percentage points or so in that scale. So that really begs the question, why would an employee willingly return to an average office when the home is delivering a better workplace experience? So that's what we're going to be talking through. And then we took a look at that data and we said, OK, in a post pandemic world, what do employees do within that workplace and what things do they need to do their jobs well to achieve their goals, to achieve their KPIs set out a leadership? So we took a cut of that data, around 150,000 or so responses from over a thousand workplaces, and it's global. We looked at 62 different countries uh, in total across that, that data set. And we started to come up with a framework that enabled us to look at the optimal workplace experience post pandemic. Now, this isn't a new notion by any means. It's not something we're claiming to pioneer. But this form follows function principle is crucial. Um, and it's really crucial to establishing what a workplace should be delivering. But there's a piece missing. Uh, and really pleased to hear Michael uh, Accenture allude to this already. Um, he's teed me up quite nicely. Um, but there was a piece missing, and that's the purpose. You know, why workplace is something that we've coined at Leasman. But really, it's fundamentally what are the reasons for which you have those workplaces? Why do they exist? Why does that space exist? And then that leads into the function. So, you know, what employees are using that space for to achieve those outcomes, to achieve those goals? And then ultimately that leads then into the form. So what features and services do employees need to support their day-to-day -day roles, to support those activities with that purpose in mind? And that, that led us to, to this framework here where we took that data and then we started to understand what the purpose of that workplace is, what functions people are doing in that workplace, what are the most important functions that they're doing in that workplace, 
and then what the form of that workplace should be. And this, this matrix is a little bit overwhelming at first glance, so it will be sent back to you so you can take a look through. But I just wanted to pull out just, just an example here where you can start to cluster some areas uh, of the form that you're trying to, to design the space for. In this case, it's just a simple example of IEQ. The functions across that touches, uh, that, that that touches, and then ultimately the purpose that you're trying to achieve, whether it's productivity, collaboration spaces, community, or, or a sense of pride and enjoyment within those spaces as well. So, with the average home supporting the average knowledge worker better than the average office, what does that post-pandemic workplace need to achieve? What's the difference between an outstanding workplace and an average workplace? You know, we know that not all offices are, are created equal. So we started to look at, at what outstanding workplaces deliver. So on the left-hand side, you'll see our global average. This is the average workplace, the average scoring metric across those average workplaces within these areas, in this case, environmental sustainability. On the right-hand side in the blue, you'll see that we've mapped this against what we consider outstanding workplaces. So these are those that score 70 or above out of 100, according to the Leesman Index. And you'll see there's just a couple of examples on the on the subsequent slides, but but the results are quite damning. So we're looking at workplaces in the average sense having a positive impact on environmental sustainability with only a score just above half of those respondents, where that jumps up to around three quarters um, in those outstanding workplaces, in those Leesman Plus spaces. And similarly, when we look at individual productivity, we can see that 80% believe that their workplace enables them to work productively against around two thirds across the global average. And then also when we look at things like plants and greenery and air quality, look, you can see the data for yourselves. There's um, you know, quite prevalent jumps up in the data when we look at the impact those outstanding workplaces have in, in those certain areas as, as well. So I'll leave you with that takeaway. Um, you know, outstanding workplaces are outstanding because their form is in service to the users. You know, the form is led by the function, which is ultimately led by the purpose. So the reason that that workplace exists. And Betsy, I know we might be a, a little short for time, but if there is space, um, then I'd welcome any questions. Struggling to hear you. I'm not sure if that's just me. No, it's not. It's user error <laughs> <laughs> with all the great technology. Um, <laughs> the question I have is, how does a, an organization determine their purpose of place? Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really good one. And those four examples there, are, are, and you know, it's not a case of maybe just selecting one. You know, it might be a kind of there might be a priority within one, but you might also be looking at one hand in hand with a with another. But really, it's a multifaceted decision that requires careful planning, often workshopping led by workplace and real estate leaders, because on the one hand, there's this need to deliver what the knowledge workers using the space need. And leaders are tasked with providing offices that help those workers deliver to whatever KPIs they might have. But on the other hand, there's this kind of looming pressure from the C-suite um, and there's a need to align the workplace goals to that of the, the C-suite objectives as, as well. You know, it's it's not a it's not an easy task by any means. Don't get me wrong. And there are several pieces to the puzzle and something not to be overlooked in, in this space. When we look at workplace purpose is this values based uh, approach where, 
you know, leaders from the C-suite down to workplace leaders should really consider what the values of that business are and whether that workplace really mirrors those values and showcases those values in the space in which people work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, real quickly, help leaders um, figure out what is the best way to approach uh, a workplace post-pandemic. Yeah, I'll try and be as quick as I can. I know we should. It's a lot of question for a quick answer. <laughs> yeah, how long, how long have you got, Bessie? Uh, no, the, the stark difference, I'll, I'll give the stark difference between now, now and then. You know, the pandemic forced an immediate change to our working habits overnight. It forced it on upon us. Now we're in this kind of hangover period, I guess you could call it, of that post-pandemic transition phase where leaders are juggling similar challenges to that they had pre-pandemic around right sizing, load balancing, you know, even some hybrid working policies. But the fundamental difference now is that there is a little bit of breathing space, you know, depending on when some of your leases expire, I guess, but there is a bit of breathing space. And my recommendation would be is that leaders use the tools and technology available to them. Jacob mentioned this, Michael mentioned this already, listen to the employees and what they need and craft and this is most important i think is crafting plans that are powered by data uh, and good data and the employees and the organization's own data michael thank you so much that is great and we'll get back to you on questions uh with the larger group so appreciate your time today thank you so much thanks Bessie. And now I'm going to turn us over to FM Systems, and we'll start with a short video. Access, manage, and measure your entire facility's portfolio. FM Systems' all-in-one workplace management platform enables facilities, corporate real estate, security, IT, and HR professionals to maximize the use of their facilities, manage real estate costs in a smart way, and ensure employees and visitors have healthy, safe, and inspiring workplace experiences. Plan against an ever-shifting, unknown world of work with FM Systems. And, and hello, Brian. Our next guest, we're delighted to have you. You are the Chief Strategy Officer of FM Systems, and thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Betsy. Uh, yep, Chief Strategy Officer at FM Systems. I've been involved in transformation of the digital workplace as well as uh, operations and facilities from the beginning of my career. My, my education is actually in architecture. Um, in uh -oh. 2023, <laughs> FM Systems uh, moved into the Johnson Controls portfolio company. So we went from 220 employees to now having 100,220 friends. So it's a pretty exciting transformation for us. All right, take it away. Thank you, Betsy. Yeah, Thank so uh, I'm just gonna go through a couple of slides to sort of um, help explain our take on crafting the future of workplaces and culture and designing harmony. At FM Systems, we really believe designing harmony in the workspace requires some elements, a couple of elements, a variety of data sources, to really help inform decision-making and an iterative process. We've never seen one of our clients get it right the first time. I mean, literally, uh, it's, especially since we've gone through such a massive transformation post-pandemic, uh, you just can't uh, create an open office environment uh, with a ton of amenities. And it, 
and expect it to be right the first time, especially if you're not talking to the occupants, understanding what your culture is, what you're trying to achieve, and really measuring that on an iterative basis. I'm gonna give you an example of one of our clients who has gone through this, what I call a digital transformation journey. Um, it's really, uh, I think, a, a big success story. The client is a, a very large leading healthcare organization, uh, a large portfolio. In this example, they needed to transform uh, space for 5,000 employees, about a half million, a little bit more than a half million square feet in four multiple level buildings. A lot of this was part of a, a big merger that they had completed. So not only are they merging uh, you know, facilities, but they're also merging culture. And at the same time, post pandemic, really transitioning to a hybrid workplace. Talk about a big challenge and a really exciting challenge uh, for them as well. Uh, and they've been looking at this from a number of different perspectives. One is centralizing their workplace data, identifying popular hotspots to inform future design because they really want to iterate as I was saying earlier, they know that they didn't get it right exactly the first time. They've really been measuring occupant experience from a whole different variety of, of standpoints, You know, everything from utilization to how people feel within the space itself. And really looking at cost avoidance, looking at things like badge data analysis, really looking at this across a very broad portfolio. And what I call multi-data point analysis, doesn't sound very fun, but it's actually pretty exciting because we're now really um, at the point where uh, technology has come along. I know everyone's been talking about AI and I'm gonna mention sort of our view on AI here in a few minutes. But really the types of data sources that this particular client is taking into account was everything from occupancy sensors, area sensors, environmental sensors, looking how occupancy affects things like indoor air quality and using that, measuring that with utilization to see if, poor air, air quality actually affects people's desire to use a space. People can actually feel these things. Looking at things like booking data, space and lease data so that they could plan from now into the future. <clears throat> Even bringing in things such as total cost of ownership within the facility and the portfolio of facilities and sort of measuring utilization against that. I always say if you've got two identical buildings, one in New York and one is in Chicago, one's got incredibly low utilization and one's got massive utilization, uh, and their operating costs are the same, ask yourself which one of those buildings uh, is more important um, in your portfolio. Um, the next thing I wanna talk about is really how you can go about the process of digital workplace transformation because it really is about data. It's interesting, I've been at this for a really long time and I see a lot of organizations still at the very beginning point of digital transformation and digital transformation is absolutely important in this context. As we look at our traditional buildings on the left, and then we start to do things like connected buildings, uh, being involved with a company like Johnson Controls, now I, I see the possibilities of connected buildings, taking that journey with data, connecting building control systems to how buildings are actually used. Ultimately, you know, we're all focusing on smart building development, and then the end, I see it coming, autonomous buildings, where buildings have enough information to actually start making decisions based upon things like AI, massive data sets to actually um, really start making decisions. Uh, an, an example is if I've got a 13-story building and on Fridays uh, I've got sort of occupancy that's quite low and people are scattered all over the building, why can't we reshuffle the building, bring all of those people down to maybe a couple of different floors and turn off the rest of the building? I mean, really it's about 
creating a, a, a sort of a, an energetic occupant experience where uh, we know that the number one reason why people are going back, it's not about amenities. It's not about what the space looks like. It's actually about we like one another. Um, as employees, most people actually want to be around the people they work with. They want to be around their colleagues, their friends. And that's really, from our research, is, is the number one motivator for people coming back to the office. There's corporate mandates and things like that that force people back. But the truth is, people really want to be around one another. So if we restack that building, we get sort of a double hit, right? We get people around one another collaborating. We also get to reduce our energy exposure. And that's really about expanded data sets, looking at information that we've never looked at before, really measuring things like utilization to occupancy costs, to uh, employee uh, wellness and comfort, indoor air quality. And I told you I would, I would, I would touch upon AI because it is quite, quite important. Our approach to AI at this point is taking all of these complex data sets that I've been talking about and using AI to provide insights in ways that humans can easily consume them. You don't need to be a building engineer. You don't need to be a data analyst to get valuable information back. And being able to do things such as natural language querying, being able to ask questions like a human would, I can simply ask systems like what we're providing and get answers back even though the data is incredibly complex and my questions may be pretty sophisticated. AI is enabling us to be able to do that. And it's a really, really exciting time uh, to be as part of this transformation. The last thing is really a lot of talk about digital twins and really digital twins to us is really taking, uh, connecting intent and reality for the full building life cycle and being able to measure that accurately. So as we model things in data, and then we look at things in reality, we're really getting to the point where the model actually is very close to reality. And we can manipulate that. We can do scenario planning, we can do modeling, we can do look at you know maybe dialing things up and down. What happens if we reduce energy costs and really optimize the use of our facilities as part of that iterative design process that I was talking about earlier. So Betsy, Brian, I think that's I love, the I love energetic optimization. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we got about um, time for one quick question. Sure. If someone's starting their digital transformation, as you know, a lot of organizations are, where's the best place to start? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's the same thing I always tell people when they ask what AI is and how it can provide information to them. First of all, you need to know what your outcome is or what you're, what you're searching for in terms of an outcome. Is that outcome I just need to optimize the use of my facilities from a utilization perspective? Does it take into account how's that going to affect the culture of my organization? Do I want to maintain the culture as well as transform my organization at the same time? Do we have a mixed portfolio of maybe new leading edge smart buildings combined with historic facilities? Really looking at things across a broad perspective, I think having data and having an understanding of what your goals are and being able to measure that through a process is really the key to that, to that question. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. We'll see you in a few minutes as we get to our group panel. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Betsy. All right, we've got one more speaker that I'm gonna introduce that is uh, Taylor Marsh, who is the VP of Sales at Carrier Abound. But before he begins to speak, we're gonna um, see a little video.
Taylor, welcome. Hey, Betsy. Glad to have you with us. I'll let you take it away. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you, and thank you to everybody for joining us today and for uh, for going the distance with us and uh, and lasting this long to uh, to my portion of this presentation. Uh, so again, I'm, I'm Taylor Marsh. I'm Vice President of Sales with uh, Cohesion uh, and Carrier Abound. So just to give you a sense of this relationship, uh, Cohesion is Carrier Abound's technology partner. Uh, we uh, create seamless and digital and, and data-driven experiences uh, in workplaces, be they buildings or, or offices. Um, and there's value in this relationship for our customers in a number of ways. Um, that's because Carrier uh, brings really tremendous uh, expertise uh, in really like the building system domain. Uh, they have global scale uh, that's supported by regional engineering offices, uh, which lets us deliver the Abound IoT platform. Uh, and then Cohesion, uh, we provide a unified platform uh, by connecting systems and people. Uh, and when you do that, you enhance security, you improve comfort, uh, you increase efficiency, uh, and you uh, ultimately can personalize the human experience uh, in uh, in workplaces. So I, I think we've we've covered a lot of excellent ground today. Um, so what I'd like to do is maybe get a little more tactical uh, uh, in some of this discussion. Like, okay, now how do we how do we do these things? Um, earlier in the call, I, I think both Michaels uh, hit on the fact that many workers are saying that they're more efficient at home than they are in the office. Um, and to put a point on it, and I think that's because uh, they're struggling to get what they need to do their jobs. Um, this is accessing their spaces. This is planning their day. Uh, it's finding a place to work. Uh, it's getting comfortable once they're at work. Uh, and it's feeling confident uh, in the, the health and well-being uh, in, in their workplaces. And you know, there's a lot of ways to solve that. Um, you know, what you see on the left-hand side of the screen is, is probably what many of us on this call are, are dealing with here today, which is a collection of really excellent software and, and perhaps hardware solutions that are uh, achieving individual outcomes, right? Uh, as you've designed the current workplace, or even as you're, you're designing new ones, um, you're, you're, you're finding these great solutions that, that solve for these great use cases, um, but there are now many of them, right? And what we need to do is we really need to be better about giving our employees uh, in our offices uh, just a simpler way to do their work at the office uh, and a unified platform uh, that connects all of these systems that you see on the left uh, is really the most efficient way to do all of that. Um, you know, I, I think at various points we've talked about, uh, you know, use cases that, that, that workers are asking for, right? We've talked about using your phone to access your spaces uh, into to, enable a, a simpler way to grant physical access, understanding how your offices are being utilized, uh, giving workers information about what's going on in their workplace uh, to better plan their day. Uh, you know, in order to do that, uh, you can either send them to many places uh, or you can send them to one. You know, you also have this challenge where each of these systems here on the left, they're all generating this really excellent, potentially useful data. Uh, but they reside in silos. They uh, lack context. Often they're difficult to interpret. They're often not normalized, right? Um, so you have all of this potentially game-changing information that isn't doing what it should be doing for your organization. And that's resulting in a less efficient and less enjoyable experience uh, for your workers. So something that I encourage all of you on this call today to do uh, is to you know, consider that a really well-executed workplace design plans for all of this. Right, uh, and it provides a, a unified platform, a, a single place to go for every user within a workplace to be able to interact with all of these different systems and do all of the different things you need to do in your office. So that way you get the best experience and the most actionable insights from your systems and importantly, in a really secure way. 
So if you take nothing else away from, from, from this as you're, you're considering systems design and, and how you build out this, this ecosystem of, of providers and of, of solutions within your, your workplaces, take these three bullets away, please. Uh, so the first is uh, you wanna create an open ecosystem. Um, a, a digital first ecosystem that really brings together all of those systems and devices and workflows that we talked about before. Uh, the second is now you need to connect to those systems, right? Uh, they're open, so let's bring them together. Uh, make sure that they can talk to each other, uh, that they can be interacted with from, from one place, be that at the office or ideally from the cloud from somewhere else uh, because we all work in different places at, at different times, uh, and that you can gather contextualized data from those. Uh, to be able to react to, to changes in how the workplace is, uh, is performing. So that way you can provide the best possible ongoing experience uh, for, your, for your workers. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, it needs to be flexible. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, future proofing is, is probably uh, at this point, one of the more overused phrases uh, in, in building technology because you have to do it, but it's difficult to achieve, right? So maybe let's consider that more of a lifestyle than an outcome. Um, but what you need to build into your platform uh, is agility, right? You need, uh, you need to have, have flexibility with your digital experiences so that you can adapt and grow and add new functionality or, or revise functionality uh, you know, as, as the needs of your business change. So just to give you a sense of this in, in application, right? You know, what are the benefits of doing this? Um, you know, something that we've seen, we were working with one of our, our corporate partners at, at their corporate innovation center uh, to, to really deploy uh, a solution that was going to achieve all these things we just talked about, right? So this is uh, an integrated experience platform that includes mobile access and comfort controls and air quality monitoring and optimization, resource reservations, community connectivity, all of that, uh, right? Uh, all of those solutions uh, that are able to be interacted with from, from just one place, right? Uh, there's many benefits of doing this. Um, the first uh, is that users are more efficient, uh, they have more satisfaction, uh, and they voice that efficiency and satisfaction by actually adopting the technology that's been deployed. Uh, I think everybody here has, has launched a, a solution that's intended to be used by, by everybody in a, in a facility and perhaps struggled to actually get those people to use it. Uh, and the benefit of a unified platform uh, is that you give individuals so many reasons to interact with that platform that they willingly choose to do so. Uh, and the benefits of that adoption to facility managers or to asset managers or whomever is responsible for managing these workplaces uh, is that now you actually get more complete data sources. In addition to the data you're extracting from underlying systems, you're also getting the data from individual users because they're actually reserving their desk through that platform. Uh, they are uh, uh, coming into work every day because they have a place to work and because they're comfortable and because they're well informed. So. At the end of this, what you what you create is a, a well amenitized solution that gives you actionable data and that people really enjoy interacting with. Uh, Betsy, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and pause and uh, see if we have some time for some questions. We do have time for a quick question. Um, you know, your platform sits in with a lot of integrated solutions. So um, when the audience is considering a smart um, workplace solution, where where should they start? What should they consider? Yeah, you know uh, that's a that's a good question, right? Um, so you know earlier we talked about being open and connected and and, and flexible, right? So do that, right? Uh, let let's make sure we're building that kind of 
process into uh, into your selection criteria uh, and how you're planning this ecosystem. Uh, the second point I would make is, um, and we see many of our customers do this, in the design of uh, user experiences, you neglect access to data. Make sure that you're working with your vendors and, and your partners to uh, ensure that whatever it is you're procuring and installing uh, has an open data source that you're able to extract that information from, normalize it, uh, and be able to contextualize it and, and make sense of it. Um, and then, you know, lastly, please consider how you're going to service the technology that you're deploying in your building, right? <laughs> um, right. That, that, that seems like it should be simple, right? But um, it, this is an important step because I think most people on this call have been burned at some point. Uh, and actually, first, Michael, I think, brought this up that uh, have been have uh, had, had experience deploying technology that wasn't ready for prime time or that was maybe difficult to stand up uh, and then and actually execute. Right. So what you'll want is a partner that a has quality technology that does what they say it does. Right. Uh, and, and having a, a global partner with scale to ensure that, that that's the case is a great way to do that. Uh, but then B, uh, just make sure that you understand how they're going to provide both pre and post launch support. Uh, to help you really drive adoption and get the best outcomes from, from that technology. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I'm now going to invite all of our panelists to join us and we'll take um, questions and make sure we got everybody. Need Brian? There we go. Great. Thank you. Um, we have a question from Mark, the technology side half of this. What are the business side of this? Um, and I think this was for um, Michael earlier on. Um, what is the business side of the outcomes you're achieving? Yeah, great, great question. Thank, thanks for posing it. I think that you know, again, th this comes as as one of the first things that you need to define up front, along with you know why does the place exist, right? It obviously exists to to provide some kind of business benefit, and, and how is that being measured? So, um, you know, there's, there's obviously for some of this stuff, there's an ROI story. Um, you know, one of the the top ones going around at the moment is well, can we reduce real estate? Can we reduce spend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's that is definitely one of them, but there's just as much opportunity for us to reinvest in the spaces that are, are, are kept, right? To bring them up to the level that that you know, let's just be honest that we're all expecting. And going back to the Leesman data, you know, there's clearly a big gap between what exists and what people are looking for. So there is a financial story around this, but we're definitely seeing and, and encouraging. Um, organizations that are getting financial returns to look at how you can take at least some of that, right, and reinvest it back into the portfolio that you're keeping to uh, to keep you on the on the leading edge of of what people are looking for and what, quite honestly, your competitors are going to be offering to uh, to talent as well. Thank you, Jacob. Um, you know, <clears throat> a lot of this has changed. We've been talking about it for ages. A lot of our clients are starting to implement this on new projects. Um, but how do we um, anticipate and stay ahead of disruption caused by change? You know, this technology and AI and things like that are gonna be uh, disruptor uh, at first. So how do you stay ahead of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's appreciating where it's coming from and what the nature of change is. Like I mentioned with that model, um, we can we can see things happen before they have implications to our orgs. When we say 
change, a lot of times we're saying is, how is this going to affect our industry or how is this going to affect our company? Um, you know, it didn't it didn't make much sense for like Blockbuster to hold on to the predominant system and make the case for VHS, you know, while the predominant system was waning. It's just that, you know, that ship had sailed on demand behavior had shown up new technologies made cloud based access to content available so that that transformative system was on the scene. The behavior was shifting the triggering events were were revealing themselves, we call those signals or forces, um, and people started to speculate, well, we think in the future people will opt into a lower fidelity, maybe even lower quality piece of content to have it in their pocket or accessible without a, you know, an archive on the bookshelf or a need to go to a rental store. You know, it's kind of an age-old example, but... Um, it's a good one. You know, I think you have to pay attention. Pay attention to the tr to the triggering events that will accelerate things very quickly. AI is the obvious one now that everyone's grappling with. Um, but the behavior changes happen um, in other spaces as well, and we need to get out ahead of those to be kind of remain differentiated, innovative, and relevant. Quite frankly, the further we we, we fall behind, the less likely we're perceived as innovators. The more likely we face complexity within our organizations, and if we fall too far behind we become obsolete and the world doesn't need us. Thus, 52% of S&P is going away in the, the last bit here. So um, none of our companies are immune. Correct. Um, Michael, speaking of that, Michael Walsh, um, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself, if I was in the audience, you know, when is the best time to engage Leesman? Um, you know, it, it is great data, but when is it most relevant? Sounds good, like good it's question. right at the onset and could really guide solutions. Yeah, good, good question. Um, I, I think it's really down to the to the business and and what's going on. Um, to be honest with you, so you know a lot of the work that we do is kind of pre and post evaluation. So we're looking at a space pre-change and then post-change and then crucially we're measuring the improvements using that same Leesman index that I mentioned earlier <clears throat> so we're able to see improvements across kind of features functions of the office and how satisfied people are with that space as well but fundamentally it's down to, to what the organization needs you know whether it's focusing on hubs you know central offices whether it's focusing on satellite offices whether you know there's investment projects going on where they need to measure the success. I think the common theme amongst all of it is that measurement piece and standardization. So you know the ability to use a metric, a methodology that's tried and tested to analyze the space, understand how it's being used, and then use that same process, that same methodology to then compare and contrast. And a follow-up question, and then Michael, I'd love your uh... Trilla, I'd love your take on this too. Um, with 7,000 employees and uh, thinking about multicultural offices, how does that filter play into Michael Walsh, the data that you're receiving? And then um, Michael Petrula, say your last name again, so everybody, because I'm butchering it. Priscilla. Priscilla. Much prettier. Um, I'd like you to comment on how Accenture has dealt with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be very brief then, and I'll, I'll hand over. I'll hand over to Michael. I think Betsy, the, the kind of crux of your question was kind of, you know, cultural and regional differences amongst amongst offices, and what good looks like there. Is is that is that? Yeah. Am I getting at it? 
you know, you're capturing data, but how does the filter of the cultural differences um, <clears throat> sway that data when you're looking yeah. at standardization and multiple satellite offices, et cetera? Yeah, I think the, the, the beauty of having the data at scale that, that we do under Leesman and, and HQO is in a nutshell benchmarking. So, you know, I, I mentioned Leesman Plus, is, which is an accreditation that we give to outstanding workplaces. You know, that's a global benchmark. So whether you're an office in Toronto, whether you're an office in Singapore, whether you're an office in Bangalore, you know, we know what good looks like in terms of delivering it, delivering a great experience to the employees. And that's the crucial thing, because we're asking the employees about their experience there as well. So really, we're really focused on delivering great places to work, regardless of kind of where those offices are. Now, that's not to say there aren't kind of cultural and regional nuances that we try and tease out of the data. So, you know, we can benchmark industry by industry, you know, tech organization against tech industry, financial services against financial services, or even region to region, you know, office versus the APAC benchmark, for example, uh, as well. So, yeah, we're focused mainly on that primary mission of making great places to work, but the ability to benchmark, cut and dice the data and look at regions, industries, et cetera, is a crucial part of, of what we do as well. Thank you. Yeah, so I'll just jump into on, onto the back of that. Um, and so there definitely, as a large organization, you know, 720 something thousand, I think was the last count that, that, uh, that I saw um, in, in many different countries across the globe. There's a couple of different things that we strive for. And I know, you know, with a lot of the global clients we work with strive for as well is one is you can have uh, a set of standards around experience for the brand, right? What does it feel like, regardless of where you're from, to to go into the workplace or, or to exp or to go there to to do different things or to execute different activities? But there's definitely a value to regionalizing some of those experiences, right? Whether it be through design, whether it through be cap capabilities, but still in its essence we believe this comes back down to like the reason for that place to exist. You know, in some countries um, and in some cities, even we've found differences inside the US that people will go to the office or choose to go there for different reasons, right? Um, larger cities um, where public transport is really easy, for example, that, that getting around is easy and where people are living in smaller housing or smaller apartments, tending to go to the office more as a place to work, right? As opposed to in the US, in, in other large cities like Dallas or Houston or things like that, where the commute is longer, but people are living in large houses, they have extra rooms, they can set them up, they're less likely to go. Similar situation in other countries around the world where people may be living in multi-generational households, for example. Um, their purpose for their office will be different than the purpose for, say, an office in New York City or an office um, in San Francisco. So. Um, having a set of standards that that we apply or we have available, applying them appropriately to the different types of facilities or the different types of buildings based on you know the the desired functionality or the desired capabilities there, but also um, you know very closely tied to the reason that those people are choosing to go there. Good answer. Thank you. So Brian, I have a question for you. Um, you, remember, you mentioned a number of different uh, data sources that can feed into the workplace analytics platform. Um, what do organizations need to think about as they con consider incorporating AI into their real estate and facility platform? 
That's a good question, Betsy. And the way I think about it, I'm going to turn it a little bit, and that is, it depends what question you're asking, right? In terms of what data you need, right? If you don't have information to help you answer that question, then you've probably picked the wrong data sources. There's been a massive trend towards measuring utilization, for instance, within organizations. Everyone's doing it. There's a lot of companies that are good at it. There's a lot of technology that's come along over the last half dozen years with battery life getting longer, better connectivity, and it's allowing us to have an incredible insight into how places are being utilized. But utilization alone doesn't tell you why people aren't coming. It doesn't tell you why people are coming. It doesn't tell you if they're happier being there. It doesn't tell you if they're more productive. It doesn't tell you much other than is it utilized lower than you expect or more than you expect. So really, I think um, we need to have all of the data sets, all of the information available to us uh, that we need to answer the questions that we have. And the questions are getting more complex, just like utilization and facilities are getting more complex. They're much more interconnected than they ever have been. You know, the advent of smart buildings moving towards autonomous, like I was saying earlier, really needs, frankly, bigger brains than what we as humans have. Uh, I know a lot of really smart people, but I'm not sure I know uh, those kinds of people who could take literally trillions of pieces of information and tease out insights that are then delivered to me as someone who's not a data person. I am not detail-oriented, but I can use things like AI uh, to get insights from really complex data sets, multi-data point analysis, as we refer to it. Um, that help me make decisions. And that's really, I think, is important. Understanding what you're trying to achieve and do you have the data available to help answer those questions. All right, Taylor, on that data, <laughs> do companies need to resign themselves to spending thousands of dollars in order to um, put in sensors and, and start getting this data in place? That's a great question. Um, you, you know, so when you look at um, kind of the outcome that you're trying to achieve here, right? This this understanding utilization and understanding your current state and, and maybe your 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 future desired state, there's ways to leg into it, right? Uh, for for lack of a better phrase. And one of the things that we see is as you're looking for solutions that are going to provide these insights to you, um, it is best, at least initially, to have a solution that reduces your initial capital outlay if possible. Right. So a solution that is open and agnostic and can work with your existing infrastructure. Uh, so that way you can start to glean these insights with your 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 current install. Right. Uh, and then as you you gain that information, and as you're really purposeful and working with with experts like the people that are on this call. Right. To uh, to help understand what other additional outcomes you, you want to achieve. That's how you're able to start. Uh, you know, determining what additional data points you need, what the best providers are going to be to to do that for you, uh, and then what the most cost-effective way uh, is going to be to be able to extract that data. So, you know, one of the things that we see and how how we help our customers is uh, is to really be able to tie together multiple existing data solutions uh, and provide that contextual data based on uh, what you already have installed. So, um, I, I would encourage everybody to to take a look at that. Is uh, how can I leverage the things you've already invested in uh, to glean these insights uh, and then be purposeful about how you uh, add additional capabilities in a way that's going to be open and flexible uh, and connected going forward. I think Betsy is frozen. 
That's not good when Betsy gets frozen. That's, 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 that's not good. Let's go to Jacob, uh, another question too. I think uh, uh, you, you got a very nice compliment, I think, uh, for uh, you talking about space being the mo most profound issue in the, uh, as a social enabler in the world. So uh, uh, are, is that generally the statement or would you say that's across the board with all uh, all businesses, there should be some level of that. People, executives that are thinking about how they're going to redesign their space, should build that into their into their design. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's a it's a comment that's coming from a psyche that I have, and I think a lot of my colleagues here at Gensler show you know share. I mean, obviously we're we're biased towards place, but we're all here because we believe in it. Um, as a social scientist, not an architect, I think you know we're we're social creatures, and I think convening in places. Is profoundly powerful. Um, some of the earlier questions, you know, touched on what's the business outcome, and I think whether you're talking about talent attraction, retention, activation of innate human capabilities like creativity, which I showed a snapshot for research for, productivity itself, mental and physical health, purpose, which largely, if you unpack where you derive purpose, one of the key ingredients is meaningful relationships. So things like mentorship and personal growth come from those those relationships. Even speed to market in some ways comes really fluidly through teams that are in proximity, have strong proximity to one another. So I just think we need to get past the case making place because it's it's super powerful. And if anyone wants to go head to head in a debate about that, I'd, I would welcome it. But what we need to do is more of what Brian and Michael and everyone has been alluding to is what's its purpose. What are the conditions that enable the outcomes we want? And then get really serious about creating those environments because the opposite is true. People also need agency, trust, and novelty. And uh, you know, there's there's ways to disable the outcomes that we want. And we could create that through the environment or we could create that through a policy that doesn't speak to a broader array of human needs. Um, so I think it's just a, we gotta get past that that frontline issue of this place still valuable? Yes, definitively yes. And now let's get to the the, the hard, complex, and meaningful work of designing great places that people maybe maybe some of that. I, let me go over to Taylor because uh, again, having been a chief technology officer for a pretty large company and consulting, now I did I've done consulting with other companies. When you say, okay, look, we're going to collect millions of data points from these sensors in these buildings, and we're going to combine that with your uh, accounting system, your back-end office systems, and we're going to provide uh, role-based data visualization. And they look at me and go, what language are you speaking? And are you talking about spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on sensors in the building? They're, we've already got sensors. They're generating data, and I, we can't even keep track of it today. So uh, what, what, how would you, if you're in the office with the CFO and the CEO and we're talking about return on investment, how, how does this become a priority uh, to, to bring systems? You're talking about a system that is going to bring it all into one place, right? A, a, work, a workplace system that is end to end. So you got to speak to that a little bit. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And we've certainly had plenty of those conversations. Uh -huh. along here. Um, so. The first, and I, and I forget who, who brought this up earlier. Um, you know, when you look at portfolios, real estate portfolios, right? Rarely are they homogenous. 
uh, you typically have uh, a beautiful new construction uh, that was greenfield designed uh, and has a, a lot of really interesting things in it. Uh, and then you, you perhaps have uh, a, a building like I'm sitting in, right? That I think we were built in 1905, right? Uh, amazing architecture, uh, but the things that are in the ceiling behind the walls maybe uh, could could use a you know a little bit more attention, right? Like those those types of things. Um, so you know what we what we prescribe on this is. Real estate is, is a, a game of places, right? So look at your exact footprint, design the right outcome for each location that maximizes your access to data uh, based on the investment that makes sense for that location and use a platform that has as much flexibility as you can to interact with the systems that are already in place to give you uh, the information that you're looking for, right? Uh, and then leverage your scale, leverage your, um, you know, your, your organizational um, um, uh, capabilities, right, to, to acquire the solutions uh, that, that you want to standardize against, right? And that the last point I'll make is, you know, standardization is, is a dream, right, of systems, right? This could be access, this could be sensor driven, this could be building automation, et cetera, right? But that is a process, right, that requires an investment. Um, so having a flexible tool that can that can help you grow that is the best way <laughs> to do so in a in a low capital intensity. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Fantastic. A couple more minutes. I see Betsy's back. Can you hear us, Betsy? I can. Sorry. Uh, that's all right. Plans. That Best laid plans with all this technology. No problem. That's why we're flexible. You know, that's so, so I, that's why I'm sitting in the waiting in the wings, just waiting for that. <laughs> then I can ask a question. I'm gonna throw one out, and then you guys can finish up, and I'll I'll, I'll stay on just to close out here at the the last minute. But uh, perfect. Uh, Taylor mentioned uh, you know building 1904. So Brian, uh, imagine if you walked in and you set your little portable sensor down and IAQ is not really all that good. Uh, so indoor air quality, maybe there's a little bit too much uh, mold, that maybe there's a little bit too much uh, 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 um, CO2. Uh, they may not want to advertise that. What what happens in that scenario? Yeah. Yeah, it's in, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know what the number one uh, driver for interest in indoor air quality was? I mean, a couple of years ago, Chuck, no one was even talking about it. The Canadian wildfires last summer really started to drive an interest in indoor air quality. And there were actually, you know, companies that were advertising that their air quality was better if you would come into the office than probably what you're, what you're getting in your home. So that's really interesting. I mean, Chuck. Honestly, we live we we're, we live in a world of data transparency. I think if you're afraid to to show your occupants what the air quality is within the office environment that you expect them to come to, you've got bigger problems culturally within your organization than that. So I I really I'm a big fan of transparency. I've seen. I mean, I you can see the impact on utilization on air quality. There's a lot of organizations that are really focusing on it because employee wellness and health is, is a big concern. Honestly, the best way to keep employees healthy and well is to provide a really wonderful work environment for them that, that is healthy. And so I think it comes down to that, Chuck. I'm, I'm not a fan of privacy and data when it comes to things like that. <laughs> I, I got you. Betsy, last, uh, I give you, I'll give you a 30-second wrap-up, and then i got to shut it down. Well, I thank everybody, um, and I'm sure Chuck will as well, for joining us today. I really appreciated your insights. I look forward to getting a copy of 
presentation and I'm glad to have uh, some other resources out in the market that um, I can tap into uh, for creating some of these workplaces um, and um, creating special spaces and experiences for our clients. So thank you. Thank All you right. for having me. So again, I'll echo Becky, Betsy's comments. Thank you guys. Uh, we really do appreciate your time. And, and, you know, we put these things together. We produce these webinars for an opportunity to bring information to the Realcom community, not just uh, some of these are, you know, it's, they're, they're compact. It's, it, uh, it, and I think what you might find is that these conversations can lead to bigger conversations. And that's what uh, that's what conferences are about and that's what networking is about and you get an opportunity to work with these great people and you see them and, and uh, that you know they'll respond to your emails so um, again thank you all to our to our panelists and thanks to the live audience you know we did get a few good questions and I think I think we addressed most of them here especially there at the end and whether you've joined us live or you're watching this as a recording we just thank you for tuning in and be sure to register for our next webinar it's on February 22nd it's called the un believable underutilization years of overlooking low voltage text potential in building efficiency uh that and then on march uh well i'm going to save that no well no actually i'm going to mention it. march 14th i don't see the slide here but it's that give me give me my four bars right it's all about building communications uh distributed antenna systems indoor in building wireless cbrs wi-fi which ties into this topic we just discussed, especially with indoor air quality, all these sensors have got to provide data and back to the source in some way. So uh, tune into those. They're going to be great conversations. We really do appreciate it. Also, uh, you see that on the bottom right hand side there. Uh, be sure to register for the Realcom IBCOM that's happening June 20th and 21st with pre-conference events starting June 18th. That's in the beautiful Tampa, Florida Convention Center. And we, we would look forward to seeing you all in person there. I hope everybody on this panel can make it. We love uh, interacting with you and everybody who's tuned in uh, to the audience or watching this as a recording. So uh, that's it for us today. Uh, we wish you all well, and uh, I'll just fi finish with be safe. My indoor air quality here is just fine. <laughs> See you. <laughs>